Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you and we're so thankful for all the dads and future dads in this room. And we pray that today they would experience a fresh experience of your grace and your presence, Lord. We pray that they'd be strengthened and encouraged today in your word. And we pray for those two for whom Father's Day is hard, either through a loss of their dad, um, through not knowing their dad, or perhaps a dad that had harmed them, Lord. And we pray that you would help them to experience some fresh grace from you today, Lord. We pray that you would share yourself with them, the true father, uh, the one to whom even the best of dads can't compare. And Father, as we gather around here as a family of children, your children, gathered around to hear from you, we pray, Lord, speak. We are listening, and we want to also, Lord, wish you a happy Father's Day as well as as the ultimate Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're in our third week of a series called Mixtape. We've got these cards if you want to invite people. But the series is called Mixtape. We're looking through some of our favorite songs in the Psalms. And so last week, we did Psalm 139, and we've got that online. This week, we're going to look at track 145, right? We're going to look at Psalm 145, and it's the last psalm that David wrote that's written in here. And like seven of his other psalms, it's an acrostic. So I don't know how many of you guys write poetry and stuff. Probably super hard to do. I'm totally not poetic. But he made it harder on himself where he would make the beginning of each verse be a different uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. And he did eight of them that way. Okay, And, that, and this one's one of those. And it's, so each verse, you can't see it in English, but it's in a different, starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. And that's how we knew originally, guys, that one of the verses is missing. So the verse that starts with the Hebrew uh, word letter nun is missing. And I'll tell you guys, I don't know how you are, but I'm so OCD. I would have a hard time enjoying this psalm with a missing verse. It's kind of like you ever have a puzzle and you like lose a piece of it. You're just like, well, I guess you just need to throw this thing away. I can't deal with the fact that it doesn't have every piece. Well, the good news is, guys, is that that missing verse got found. Um, it was in the Greek uh, translation of the, of the Hebrew in the Septuagint, and for a while people weren't sure, is this really the, the one? Because the Hebrew manuscripts didn't have it. But then when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found last century, um, they found some manuscripts of this psalm, and there was the missing verse. So now I can enjoy it, um, knowing that it's all here. And some of your Bibles will even have it in a bracket, if you look at verse 13. The second half of verse 13, in, in the ESV anyway, is in a little bracket to say, here's the verse we found. It's found. It was lost, but it is found. Um, and so this psalm is part of the kind of rapid-fire praise psalms at the end. The last five psalms uh, in the book of Psalms are all rapid-fire praise. You can see in verse 1 it says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And you think, well, why should he praise him forever and ever? Why do we praise him forever and ever? And verse 3 says why. Because he deserves it. Because it's the only right response when we see who God is. He says in verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We praise him this morning. We'll have a long time of praise today. And we'll have a long time of praise because he's greatly to be praised. He deserves it. It's the only right response to him. And you might say, well, why is he greatly to be praised? And the second half of verse 3 says there's more reasons than you can imagine. He says his greatness is unsearchable. Isn't that amazing? God's greatness is unsearchable. God is infinite, meaning there is no end to his greatness. So you could constantly be looking at God's greatness and never come to the end of his greatness. And that's why we say that God is incomprehensible. 
that we can't take in everything that he is. Um, Because we're finite, we're limited, and God is infinite. We can never take in everything that God is. We can never, ever, ever in all of eternity, we can never take in all of his beauty, all of his greatness, all of his glory, all of his wisdom, all of his majesty. We're like a, a little like red solo cup at the beach trying to take in the Pacific Ocean. It's impossible, you know? And, and it's even more impossible than that because that's an ocean that has no end. His greatness has no end. Now, just because God is incomprehensible, it doesn't mean that God is unknowable. Sometimes you'll have people talk about that today. If God's infinite, we're finite. If he's incomprehensible, there's no way we can actually know him. We might as well just give up and live our lives and go, yeah, there's a God, but you can't really know him. But the Bible teaches us, guys, that God is, though he's incomprehensible and though his greatness is unsearchable, we can still actually know him. We can know him rightly. Um, We know from the Bible, we know that he has given us his word. And the high point of the revelation of himself is Jesus Christ, right? We can know him. We can't know everything about him, but we can know him rightly through the person of Jesus Christ. God has made himself knowable. He's, he's given us parts of the knowledge of him that are fully digestible, fully understandable, and able to be really known. And, and guys, it's really good news, actually, that God's greatness is, is, um, is unsearchable because it tells us that in the world to come, guys, we will never be bored. Have you guys ever worried about being bored in heaven? You know, um, that somehow you, you'll get there and, and you'll experience it for a while and you'll say, okay, what else is there to do around here? You know, we got eternity. Well, because God is, his, his greatness is unsearchable, there will always be some new beautiful thing to discover about him and enjoy. There will always be something new in the world to come. We will never get tired of, of looking at him and seeing him and speaking with him and getting to know him more and more. And that's why heaven, guys, is going to be uh, ever-increasing joy. Do you guys realize that? The level of joy you have when you first come, that joy will increase over time forever. Why do I say that? Well, if you guys ever have that feeling, you guys certainly have had that feeling, when you discover something new about God, you see something new about him, you get that little tick of joy, and you're like, oh, that's great. Wow, that's so awesome. That will keep happening over and over again forever. There will always be some new thing. Just when you thought, you know, God couldn't be any better than what you've already seen, you'll see some new vista of his beauty. You'll make some new shocking discovery of his greatness. We'll never be bored. Have you ever worried about it? Worry no longer. Verse 3 says, his greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. He's incomprehensible, but he is knowable. And the way that he's known to each generation, you can see in verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another. The main way that the knowledge of God is spread is by one to another. Isn't that interesting? And you say, well, I have a Bible. I can know everything about God from there. It turns out that when we're born again, we don't just start from scratch in an empty room with a Bible where God says, figure it out, right? doesn't go that way. It doesn't. When we're born again, we're born into a community that helps us to learn how to live God's word. And we see that as Jesus' plan in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So you weren't born again into, you know, just an empty room with a Bible. You were born into a community, into a family, the church, a covenant community where we can learn from one another how to live this, this word out. Isn't that important? I and mean, it's super important. Uh, I, there's so many things that I've learned. I, I read it in the Bible, but to actually know how to live it, I needed somebody to show me. And that's what this verse is about. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another. And, and so what each generation does is it helps us to learn 
um, how to live as disciples. Discipleship, guys, is learning to do everything Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit through a transformed heart. Okay? When we think about discipleship, it's, it's learning to do everything Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit through a transformed heart. And we have people to help us with that. Older generations of believers who, who have walked with the Lord for longer, pursue them. Pursue them. Pursue them in the church. Pursue them in other churches. Pursue older believers that know what to do. Pursue dead ones. I know that sounds weird. I've learned a lot from dead ones. You know, to read uh, from believers from hundreds of years ago that have walked through and learned to apply God's word. And so, we, and, then, and then once we learn it, we're called to what? Hand it down. You see that? In verse 4, it says that we're to hand it down to the next generation. And that includes, guys, and the reason why I want to do this psalm this Sunday is that includes parenting. Parenting is discipleship. Um, Marcelo's not here today, but he wrote a book called Parenting's Discipleship. But parenting is discipleship. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them while you are sitting in your house and when you're walking along the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Parenting is discipleship and it's full-time discipleship which can be quite exhausting, but it's, it's while you're sitting down and rising up, while you're walking, and all these things bringing some knowledge of the Lord um, to your children. And, and it's Father's Day, and so it's a good time to remind you, dads, we're called to lead in this. We're called as dads to lead in the discipleship. Moms and dads, but dads, we're called to lead in this. Let's do it well. Um, talked about the church library. We have some stuff in there that would help you, and so uh, I'm going to do a little book show real quick. Um, for really little kids, Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you guys have used this? This is a great, yeah, it's awesome. Grandparents too. It is a great way to, to share the whole storyline of the Bible and how it connects to Jesus at every place. So that's a great one. That's in the church library. I'm going to hand it to Tosh when we're done. You guys could rush to check that out. Um, we have this one. Um, I mentioned this one. We did the baby dedication just a couple weeks ago. But this is the biggest story, how the snake crusher brings us back to the garden. Awesome book. Great illustrations. We don't have time. I'm not going to do all the pictures. Um, there's uh, some great books here as far as, um, there's the ABC uh, Bible verses for little hearts, so for really young kids. Um, this one's a fun one, <laughs> is uh, not as theological, but the Action Bible. So this is um, like comic book style drawings of, of Bible stories. It's great for little dudes sometimes to get them, get them going in the Bible. Um, this one's great. This is great. Uh, the, the Gospel Story Bible. This is a great one for uh, doing like at dinner time or in the evening. Um, you just go through, once again, nice illustrations, but talk, you can read about this uh, story about Moses and then some points to talk about. There's so many resources, guys, today for us as parents. It's so helpful. Um, Tosh just got this one for the, for the church library, Everything a Child Should Know About God. So this is like a systematic theology book for children, right? I mean, this is super cool. With pictures. My systematic theology uh, doesn't have pictures, um, which is sad. Oh, these are really fun. These are big thoughts for little uh, thinkers. So this one's called The Mission. So it talks about the gospel mission that we have together and um, the Great Commission. This one's on the Trinity. I was just talking to Matt, and he has like all kinds of ways to talk about his, to his child about the existence and the triuneness of God. But this is about the Trinity. So that's Cool. This one's about scripture, and they're just really fun books that, that teach them about the Lord. Something I'm excited about, too, recently, is um, the New City Catechism. So Tim Keller's church in New York um, took some of the older catechisms, which I tried doing some of those with our kids, and I don't want to discourage you from doing it, but um, I was like, I think both parents and kids were smarter back then. 
because some of the answers are super long, you know, and they were memorizing these things, but I guess that's all they had to do was memorize things all day. But um, this is great, but like, uh, you know, what do justification and sanctification mean? And then there's an answer, and then there's a highlighted answer, which is the shorter version. So for a younger kid, they can memorize that, and then as they get older, they can memorize more. These are really fun to do, like at dinner time. You know, what is God? And for a little kid, it would be God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. For an older kid, it would be he's eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his power, perfect, he's good, he's glorious, his wisdom, and it talks about how nothing else can compare to him. I mean, it's, it's a real, lot longer answer, and so you can just go through and do those at dinner, and you can just pick one question, maybe do it all week, you know, and just remind them and remind them, and pretty soon they grab it. And, and most kids actually like to be quizzed. I don't know if it's a pride thing, they want to prove themselves, I don't know what, but they like being quizzed, so, um, so check those out, like literally. I'm going to hand these to Tosh so I don't forget. This is a massive stack. So, um, so there are resources, and we guys as a church really, really, really want to help you guys um, and to do the best possible job at, at raising your kids in this way. Um, what about a situation where there's no dad or, or the dad's not a believer or something like that? Well, Timothy was in that situation. Remember, Timothy was Paul's companion in missions, and his dad was either not a believer or not around. Um, and Paul talks about his upbringing, and he said this. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What's really cool is that Timothy's discipleship, because a dad was not involved, was done by his mom and his grandma. And I know with many of you guys here, grandparents, you've taken on a role of discipling these little kids. And, and you can just see the fruit of that discipleship, where you have a man that actually becomes Paul's companion, like a co-apostle out there uh, spreading Christ. And so God will work through you as well. What's really cool about the story of Timothy too is eventually God did provide a spiritual father, a mentor for him, right? Paul, to be, and he always talked about Timothy as his child and they had this relationship. What's really cool, guys, is that the Lord will use us as a church collectively to disciple the next generation. We're not on our own to do this. A couple weeks ago, we did baby dedication. You remember, we dedicate the baby, and then the parents make vows and how they're going to raise the child in the Lord. And then remember, I asked all of you to do the same, that we all promise to be a help in the discipleship um, of these kids. It's an awesome advantage. I mean, we have a tremendous gift and responsibility of the kids in our church. If you guys realize this, but like we're almost outnumbered, (laughs) we're at least a third kid. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, it would be 40-something percent kids. We have a tremendous advantage. It's a huge advantage the Lord's given us as a church. Psalm 127 says this in verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Guys, children, kids in our church are arrows. The tremendous advantage we've been given. And arrows are meant for what, right? Arrows are meant to be drawn back, aimed, right at Darwin, and released into the world, right? And to be released. He wants us to take these children as a church, collectively, to take these children, to prepare them in God's word, to aim them out into the world and release them to do things for God's glory, to impact the world for Christ. And the world needs them, guys. You know, And we as a church have dozens and dozens and dozens of arrows to be about firing. Super exciting. We need to steward them well, right? We need to aim them carefully, and we need to release them. And they're going to do things, you know, for the cause of Christ that we never dreamed. 
You know, and that's why we care so much about children's ministry. And we have like Josh and Renee, you know, some of the best leaders in our church leading over that ministry. And that's why, you know, so many of the church leaders serve in there. I serve in there. So if I'm not here preaching, you can find me back there. And I'm serving in children's ministry because this is a huge part of our church, guys, and a huge kingdom advantage to us. So I want to just invite all of you guys to be a part of this. You know, be a part of these kids, uh, not only coming to know the Lord, but being trained for impact for Christ. Um, what are our goals? We want them to know God's word. We've got a, a curriculum we're using on Sunday mornings called the Gospel Project. Helps them to see the world through a gospel lens. We want to, um, to, to help them to, to love Jesus and to love his church. We want them to really especially um, know that they have a part in this church. You know, what we've done for, for older kids is um, they're junior volunteers. So my son, Mason, and Miles, they serve in there. Uh, some of the time, they're junior volunteers. Uh, Michaela's serving in there, which is awesome. Denise is serving in there. We have these younger kids. These, they're out of child um, care age or child uh, children's ministry age, but then they're serving, and we want to show them that they're a valuable member of the team. You know, And we want to show them how to do verse 4, which is to commend the Lord to the next generation. Because, guys, there's a lot of concern out there about, like, the church losing the next generation. You probably see articles about this all the time, like, you know, all the millennials are leaving the church. How many of you guys are millennials? How many of you guys are born after 1982? Don't be shy. Okay, so we got a lot of millennials here, right? This church is actually built by millennials. <laughs> so, um, so they're not being lost here. There is, though, guys, a massive shift in our culture right? Not just in our secular culture. There's a massive shift, guys, in the Christian culture in our valley, and I've felt it since I've been here. There is a growing spiritual coldness. There is a deep growing cynicism about the church. A a lot of people, professing Christians, have zero interest in Jesus's bride. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you know, you hear a lot people saying like, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian and that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, I heard someone say, I think it was Kent Hughes said, well, yeah, you don't have to go home to be married either. But it shows something's wrong, right, if you're not going home. And so um, it's something that's growing. I mean, that people don't have a sense of desire for the community that Jesus has designed to reach the the world. I mean, how many of your neighbors um, are, are going regularly to a Christian church? You think about your street. I mean, on our street, it's, uh, there's three of us, and the other family's right here, you know? So there's very few. When, we went, uh, when Lee and I went through this neighborhood and, and handed out cards, um, I think we interacted with me one person that consistently went to a Christian church. I mean, this valley, though professes Christ a lot, is very little engagement with God's people. And so what's the solution? The solution is discipleship, right? It's in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another. But notice, guys, that David just doesn't just say that we need to give information. He's not like the solution is you guys just need to give a bunch of information to the next generation. I'll take care of it. What does he say? He doesn't say just tell them about the Lord. What does he say? One generation shall what? Commend your works to another. What does the word commend mean? What does it mean if you commend somebody? It means praise, right? So the way we hand down the Lord to the next generation is not just by an information download. It's by our praise. We praise the Lord to the next generation. We, uh, we, David's saying that we pass down to the next generation what we praise. We pass down to our kids and grandkids and those we disciple, we pass down to them what we worship, what we praise, what we commend in our lives. Our worship, guys, invites them into worship. And as disciples, we're, we're not just um, telling them about the Lord. That's in verse 6. It says we speak about him, we declare him. But verse 7 says we pour forth about him. 
As it says in verse 7, we sing aloud about him. That gives a whole other flavor to parenting, doesn't it, and discipleship? It's about worship. It's about inciting worship in our kids. It's about inciting worship in our grandkids. It's about inciting worship in those we disciple. We commend and we praise him. And they're watching, guys. They, they hear what we say, but they're also watching and learning what we worship. You know, they can tell what we're most excited about. They can tell what we give our time to. They can tell what we give our sweat to, right? They can tell what gets fire, us fired up. They know who our heroes are, right? They're watching. They're watching our worship. They're seeing how satisfying Christ is to us or not. And they're learning. They're learning how seriously to take Jesus, how seriously to take his word, how seriously to take his church. And I just want to commend you guys. I mean, just by orienting your weekend to be here sends a powerful message to your children. I don't know if you guys realize that. It sends a huge message to your children that, that you guys orient your whole week, your whole weekend around bringing them here to worship. And they worship, guys. I, that's another reason to go to children's ministry if you want to find out what worship is, right? They worship hard. <laughs> they worship in ways that your back will hurt and you will be exhausted afterwards. It's awesome. They worship. And, um, and, and I want to tell you guys, you are having a much bigger impact than you think as they watch your worship. So we, we pass down what we praise. And I was thinking about our kids and about our kids as arrows, right, to be sent out for impact with Christ, for Christ. And I was thinking about Jim Elliott. You guys know the story of Jim Elliott. He's a missionary to Ecuador. And he wrote this letter to his parents. And um, he was a missionary in the 50s to Ecuador. And he and four of his friends were killed by a tribe when they went to Ecuador as missionaries. And um, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, wrote a book called The Shadow of the Almighty, which is where this letter's found. And she wrote about the fact that she went back later. And a ton of those people came to the Lord. And they came to the Lord through, through the death of, of, of Jim Elliott. And he's the one that famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that awesome? You know, people are like, why are you going there? What are you doing? You're going to lose. He's like, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And before he went to Ecuador, he wrote to his parents who were very concerned about him going, as we all would be, and he wrote him this. He said, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord warned us about when he told his disciples that they must be so infatuated with the kingdom and following Christ that all other allegiances must be as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. And then he tells his parents, Grieve not then if your son seems to be deserting you, but rejoice rather, seeing the will of God done gladly. And then he says this, Remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they are a heritage from the Lord. And that every man should be happy to have a quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to be shot? And then he says to his parents, So with the strong arm of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrow fly, all of them, straight into the enemy of hosts. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome, you know? We pass on what we praise. You know, we show them by our worship what to worship. And I was just thinking, are our homes and is our church the kind of environment that produces kids like that? That will even disturb their parents at their excitement to follow the Lord to dangerous places. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to be. We pass down what we praise. Our worship shows them what to worship. You know, they will receive from us what we rejoice in, Right? And so we need to ask ourselves every day, how can I praise or commend the Lord to him? Not just how can I teach him or how can I correct him, but how can I praise and commend the Lord to him? How can I incite worship in my kids today? 
Gives you a whole other grid to think about for parenting, doesn't it? And you might think to yourself, well, and I'm sure you're thinking that because I'm thinking this, I'm not that much of a worshiper. <laughs> you know, you think, my worship probably wouldn't inspire too many people to do too many crazy things, right? And, you know, what do we do if we feel like our worship is not that inspiring to others? Well, look at how David describes worship and praise. In verse 7, he says, They shall pour forth the, frame, the, the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. So he says that this worship is something we pour forth. It's something that's within us, right? Just like a, a, a mountain spring, you know, the, the ground is full of water and the water is coming up and it's bubbling out, guys. We worship, we praise what's filled our hearts. And how do we have that fill our hearts? He says here, he says, I will meditate on your great deeds. We need to be meditating as parents, as fathers, as mothers, as grandparents. We need to be meditating on God's word. We need to be filling our hearts with the greatness and glory of God. What is meditation? It means to dwell on. It means to think over. It means to steep in, right? It means to chew on. It means to mull over. And we do that until it just shoots right out of us, right? Until it pours forth from us and inspires our kids to worship him too. And what should we commend the Lord for in front of our kids? This psalm actually has two big categories, right? Two big categories are the Lord's power and his goodness. So real quick, I'm going to go through, you know, we should commend to our children the Lord's power and his goodness. First is power. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of your mighty, of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. We need to show our kids God's amazing power in creation. And I'll just give you one example, but creation's full of examples. But one would just be the stars. You know, pour forth to your children about God's power making the stars. Our sun, guys, is the size of 1.3 million Earths. So if the sun was a big ball, like an empty container, you could throw 1.3 million Earths inside of it. It's huge, but it's not the biggest. It's kind of like a medium star. You know, it's not the, a big one. Um, there are some that are 100 times bigger than ours. And you say, well, how many stars are there? Okay, well, first you have to think universe, you have to think galaxy. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. In our galaxy alone, guys, there is 100 billion stars. So 100 billion things that are bigger than a million of our Earths that are like on fire, right? It's like, it's crazy. It's this huge fusion, you know, fire that's occurring. And so there's a hundred billion stars in our galaxy, but that's just our galaxy. How many galaxies are there? They think maybe like a hundred trillion galaxies. They have a hundred billion stars in them. It's insane. So the estimate is it would be a one with 24 zeros after it. I mean, so it's a number, I don't have a term for that. It's massive, guys. It's crazy. And it's so funny, the creation story, how it says, and God made the sun, and he God made the moon, and then it says, and he made some stars. <laughs> he didn't just make some stars. He made, like, trillions of trillions of stars. It's amazing. He just spoke them into existence. Your kids know about that. If you praised the Lord in front of them about that, we should, we should lead them in praising the Lord's power and redemption. You know, this creation that he made, We've messed it up, right? In our rebellion, with our sin, we've destroyed our relationship with God, and we've also let all kinds of damage come into this world of war and, and, and grief and sorrow and pain and suffering and death. And I was asking my kids last night, I said, um, which is harder for the Lord to do, to create the world or save it? You know, because at first the kids will think, well, that's a lot of stars, and like, that sounds harder. But, uh, you know, as we were talking about it, how did he create it? Just words. 
Easy. He did that from his chair, okay? Just spoke it into existence. But how did he save it? He had to come down as a man. He had to, to bleed and die in agony on the cross to pay for our sins and to remove the curse from this world. Isn't that awesome? You should tell them that, right? Lights, light bulbs click on in their minds when we tell them that. Then he rose from the dead to show that he was going to make all things new. Have your kids heard about his power and redemption? Have you praised him before them for that? How about his kingdom? Verse 10, it's interesting. Verse 10 through 13 is all about his kingdom. It says, all your works shall give you thanks. Verse 10. O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's kingdom is his reign. Um, Wherever God's reign is being felt and experienced, that is a place where we're experiencing his kingdom. And it's so cool because David, who wrote this, he was promised that one of his sons would reign as king on the earth forever, right? Forever. And that person, when Jesus came, he was that person. Remember, Jesus was always talked about as the son of David. Why? Because he was the one to fulfill that Davidic covenant. He was the one to come and reign. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection and then ascension to his throne, has taken that kingdom. And that kingdom, guys, right now is in the process of invading and taking over this world of darkness and death and sin. Do you realize that? Jesus talked about the kingdom as leaven spreading through a loaf or as a seed growing into a big plant. Every time somebody comes to see the value of Christ, repent of their sin, trust in him, the kingdom spreads. Kingdom's taking over enemy territory even as we speak. Maybe even in this room at this moment. It's growing. More and more people coming to know him. And guys, there is hope for this world and there is hope for those who trust in him. He's going to make this world new. In Psalm 72, it says that he will have dominion from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. How would you like that? You know, people have a hard time struggling with the idea of heaven and all that. How would you like Jesus to come here, reign as king over the whole world, remove all sin, death, and suffering, and renew the whole place under his leadership? How would you like that? That's the future in Revelation 21 and 22. Tell your kids how excited you are about the kingdom, right? We also should pour forth about his goodness, This psalm tells us not only that the Lord is powerful, but that he's good. You guys remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy, she had heard about the power of Aslan. Now, Aslan was the the lion who symbolized Christ, and she heard about the power of Aslan. And then, like, with the shaking of his mane, spring would come. With the bearing of his teeth, winter would end. And she got really concerned about all this, right? And she, she was like, well, is he a safe lion? Right? Is he a safe lion? She says to Mr. Beaver, then Aslan isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Isn't that awesome? We need to tell our kids also about his goodness. Look at verse 8. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's a quote from Exodus, right? Do you remember when Moses, he was with the Lord, and the Lord couldn't show him his glory? He said, show me your glory. One of the things that the Lord did in response is to say this verse. He said, you want to see my glory? I am gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He's like, that's my glory. That's the glory we need to share with our children. Praise God's goodness to your kids. It says in this verse that he's gracious, merciful, and patient. Those are all different things, right? Grace is God's goodness to those who deserve his punishment, right? 
And so in Christ, if we trust in him and repent of our sin, he treats us with goodness when we deserve his punishment. That's grace. Mercy, though, is a different thing. Mercy is God's goodness to those who are in distress. And it talks later in this psalm about people that are falling down and failing. God's mercy is that he comes along and helps people that are in distress. What about his, his patience? It says that he's slow to anger. The Lord is good and that he's patient. God's patience is his goodness to those who keep on sinning over a long period of time. He's patient with all of us, right? Guys, God is the most gracious, merciful, patient, peaceful being in the universe. Your kids need to know that, right? And the fact that we, by our sin, have come under God's wrath before we come to Christ is just a testament to how bad we are because he is the most peaceful, merciful, gracious, loving being. It's not him, it's us your kids know about his kindness. Look at verse 9. It says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he's made. God has mercy and grace over all he's made. It's It's called in theology, it's called his common grace. He has a grace that he spreads indiscriminately. There's saving grace where people are forgiven for their sins and and they, they have a right relationship with him. But even people that are in rebellion to him, God's like spreading his grace around, right? Over all he's made. Look at verse 13. It says of God's kindness. It says the Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, to God, to give them their food in due season. Everybody's looking to you for food in, your, in, in their due season. He says, you open your hands and you satisfy the desire of every living creature. He feeds everything. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Do you hear the kindness there? That he, that he sees people falling and he raises them up. He sees them bowed down and he's like, let me prop you up. Let me help you out. Do you see his, his kindness in verses 15 and 16? It says that he feeds everything. He even feeds the animals. How do you feel about people that feed animals? Like people that feed animals that aren't even their animals. Like that are just looking for animals to feed. How do you feel about it? They're kind, right? They're kind. People that'll, that'll, that'll feed animals. The Lord feeds animals. And he wants us to know this, apparently, because there's lots of verses where he says, hey, you know, I feed the animals, right? Like, it's something that endears us to him to where we go, oh, you're super kind. You feed animals, right? Um, Tasha's parents, um, they're total animal lovers. And um, for a long time, for years, they were feeding rabbits that were in the park behind their house. They'd seen some rabbits. They figured these rabbits need to be fed. And so, like, her dad would, like, who's like a Ph.D. physicist, He's there, he's chopping up carrots every day. And you know, when they went on vacation, they made sure someone else did it. They, you know, just chopping everything up. These are kind people, right? These are kind people that care about the rabbits. And and I don't know if the neighbors just were like, yeah, just throw it away, you know? But they said that they went in, they put it out there, and they didn't get to see the rabbits every time they saw the rabbits initially, but they put it out, and then the food was gone. And then one time they realized, like, they weren't rabbits, they were rats, so initially they were rabbits, but I, these rats like figured out like they could come here and get food. And like the neighbors were like, oh yeah, there's tons of rats over here. You know, they were feeding rats, right? Guys, the Lord feeds rats intentionally and sometimes through wonderful people like my in-laws, right? He, the Lord's kind. He feeds animals. And look at verse 18. The Lord is near to those who call upon him. He answers prayer. Um, to call up, who call upon him in truth. If, if somebody really wants to know the Lord and they call upon him, he's there. 
He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And he also hears the, their cries and saves them. And Psalms are full of that. We'll get to more of those. The Lord preserves all who love him, but he destroys uh, the wicked. Guys, the Lord is kind. He answers prayer and delivers. And you might say, well, that last part doesn't sound kind. Destroying the wicked. How is the Lord supposed to preserve those who call upon him without removing the threat? Right? You know, I think 21st century, you know, people were like, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Like these people, this guy's being hunted. He calls upon the Lord to deliver him, and the Lord destroys the wicked. This is him being kind, removing the threat, the ones that wanted to kill him. There's people in all other parts of the world that get that verse very well. They very much understand that. Um, our kids, guys, need to not just know what we believe, they need to know what we worship. We pass down what we praise. And I want you guys to know, just in closing, that your impact is more than you know. You know, a lot of times you, you don't see the fruit of it. A lot of the Bible talks about ministry as farming, and farming isn't glamorous. You know, seed, water, nothing there, okay. Water, nothing there, okay. And, and you want to just give up or tear it up and see what's going on. It's like you just keep water, 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 right? Your impact is more than you know. David's impact was more than he knew. I mean, he's just wanting to inspire the next generation. He writes this. He writes a song. He goes, I just want to stir up the next generation to worship you, Lord. And then what happened? His impact has reverberated down to us 3,000 years later. And I want you guys to think about that, about your parenting. You know, what impact will your praise have, not just on your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids? Pray for dozens of generations. The Lord will use the impact of your worship more than you can possibly imagine. And it's not too late. Maybe you, your kids are grown. They can still see your worship. Um, you, can, you can help with them still in the way that you worship the Lord. You can help your grandkids. You could be about, as a church, all these little arrows that we all have. It's not too late for you to be a part of this. Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another. How can we incite worship in them today? Let's pray. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.